Welcome to the summer series of Culture Factor. I'm Holly Shannon. When I spoke at this year's NFTMYC, I used my downtime to interview the experts about their engagement in the Web3 space. We've talked on Culture Factor a lot about what Web3 is and how it's being used, but I wanted to try and understand why. Almost every person I spoke to had a similar reason for being part of Web3. They all wanted to help fulfill our most basic, fundamental, evolutionary need, connection. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to explore the methods that artists, collectors, and businesses use to bring about connection. I'll break down the whys, not just the what's, of this new digital space we find ourselves in. Welcome to Culture Factor, and I'm so glad that we were able to put this together. Um, let me let me actually just jump right in. Like you, uh, first of all, hi Tammy, nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm all hi. over the place. <laughs> nice to meet you, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is wonderful. And I'm, I was so excited. I was going through your Instagram feed and I'm seeing all your arrows like, here's me in Times Square and it's on loop. And, and look, here's another one. And we're like, it's across from each other. And like, I thought that was like so much fun. I could tell from your post that you were really excited. Uh, must have been cool for you. Yeah, actually, beforehand, I didn't know that the billboards were going to be exactly opposing each other which was like um, like such a cute coincidence. It, I, it felt it almost felt like a meet cute be, between my art friends, you know, like, oh, they're facing each other. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. I agree. I agree. So, all right. So everything for you is virtual. Um, you were a 3D artist uh, originally, uh, so you were already working virtually. Um, what type of 3D art were you doing? Yeah, so I am a 3D digital native artist, which means like I usually work in software that allows me to model and to render my um, items and my environment and everything that I put in there. Um, so for me, just like transitioning to being a full-time digital artist was really handy, you know, it was like really right there. Um, but as, but I, I also incorporated in my artwork stuff like, um, AR and VR, which, you know, even, even if they are like usually considered a different medium, the fact that I can model something in the, uh, in VR and basically put it back onto my desktop and go ahead and change some stuff and render it there. Um, it's all basically just like interlaced. So I don't really consider them to be different environments, even though I use different tools for them, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They present the same in a way, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. For me, for me, they're kind of like this whole digital um, artworks that I can, you know, just like um, pull and construct and apply textures and all that. And the mediums just kind of like converge for me, you know, I, I don't really separate them as long as they're digital. It's not like a physical medium, you know, like a painting and stuff like that. As long as I'm using digital tools, in my head, they're all like a one big thing, you know. So, so I'm assuming then, just based on what you're saying, that the transition uh, to NFTs there wasn't really a moment or something that propelled you into that. It was just a natural iteration of what you were already doing. 
um, and maybe just an opportunity to present your art to a bigger audience that was starting to adopt the NFT technology. Is that right? Yeah, you're quite you're quite right about that. But there is one thing actually that I did change in my process because basically my audience changed with NFTs. So I've been in the NFT space for about three years now. And when I first started to create for NFT, my first actual digital collection was called Crypto Rocks. And I made it especially for the NFT environment, which meant that I made five pieces of each item, which were was this like crypto rock, and it was designed to be opened on mobile phones. It was designed to be kept in wallets. And it was basically designed to interact with it on the blockchain. So that was like really different from what I did before when everything I created remained um, just, you know, like a 2D kind of thing that you could view on social media, like on Pinterest or Instagram or, you know, all these types of meetings. It was the first time when people could have some sort of an interaction with, you know, my creation. Because like, for instance, one of the things that I added on um, when you would purchase this first item from my Genesis collection, you would get like a code that you could um, put in any app that uses Jiffy, you know, that has Jiffy integration. And if you would put that code, it would pop up, um, it would pop up like a special set of GIFs or GIFs, you know, whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. um, that basically only the collectors um, would have access to. So that's like kind of an interaction I wouldn't have been able to offer to my collectors if it, if it wouldn't have been for the blockchain and NFTs. And the same goes for another unlockable that I offered, which was an AR filter. And you would basically get a special dedicated link to it. And with that link, you could access it via Instagram, you know, but it wasn't public. Like there was no other way to access that. Now they're actually, you know, it's been like two years and something and I release them publicly. So like, if you want to, if you go to my Instagram, you can actually see what the collectors saw which is like an AR filter and you could put like the rocks um, in an environment and you could just like, you know, um, turn your phone around and you can see what's, you know, you can see the artwork 3D in AR. Um, But at first it was just dedicated to the collector. So that's something that I've never done before. And it was just like, you know, blockchain related. Did that, um, so it was almost like a catalyst to making your, you know, coming into NFTs, it was almost like a catalyst into a a bigger pool, uh, maybe putting you in front of collectors that you wouldn't have before. Or or was it a whole different, was it new or were it the same people? I'm sorry, I'm asking sort of a jagged question there, but (laughs) I, I guess I'm trying to understand like, did it did it create new audiences for you or were you already working with clients that got it and now they were just buying your stuff as NFTs? Well, it was really interesting because they were all brand new. It was a completely new new audience. It was not even just like a completely new audience. It was a completely new territory because my first collector and like the first, um, like I think the first five were actually um, based in Asia, which before this I have never had contact with. You know, it was like a market that I didn't even think about. It was not open to me. But they found me through Clubhouse and they searched for my art. They liked it. 
They like, you know, the way I would, you know, uh, use GIFs and AR and stuff like that. They thought it was like really cool. And so my first collectors were from Asia, which was a market I have never touched base with before. That's, that's then, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and like, the, I mean, it was like a, quite a big difference because like my clients before were mostly brands and um, individuals were just in viewing only, you know, they would open up my Instagram, they would like and comment, they would say like, wow, amazing work. Um, they would support me like that, but they weren't really collectors or buyers, you know, they were like supporters um, and people following my art journey. And now it opened up a whole new, you know, marketplace, so to say, from actual collectors, which I hadn't actually thought before. So as an artist, the feeling that you get from a supporter must be different from the feeling you get from a collector. Yes, it is very different. And uh, and by no means I want to like underestimate the support I get from my um, you know, the, the people that follow me on Instagram or other social platforms, but it is a very special connection that I create with a collector because I feel, you know, maybe it's a bit shallow to say, but I do feel maybe a bit more, you know, valued um, in terms of an artist. I feel like, okay, so this person decided to take their hard-earned money and uh, actually buy something from me that's going to hopefully stuck with them, you know? Um, because like, see, there are artists who wish their collectors would resell their art and their, um, you know, market price would go up. I personally, like the way I think my art pieces, I wish people would hold on to them, you know, cause they're like, I invested a lot of emotions in them and I put a lot of thought in them because they're usually super personal and they speak about a certain journey, some, you know, some, some human, very human experiences and, um, if they choose to let it go, I would like for them, you know, to be, to be let go because maybe they pass through that stage and they're moving on to something else in their life and all that, you know, not, not for the purpose of, you know, um, revenue and stuff like that. So it is a very different relationship with the collectors that I have. I, I love that, um, what you said, and, and I, I believe it's a really nice feeling as an artist. I think it's, um... There's nothing wrong with making money. I say that to people all the time. Like you need to have that validation too that your your work um, can garner a paycheck. You know, it's it's one thing if you have full time work that pays you a salary uh, every year and your artwork is merely a hobby. But when you are an artist through and through and you work day in and day out, this is your craft. This is your salary. It is really yeah. nice, right? To have that validation. Yeah. And, um, and, I'd, and I would go so far as to say that I agree with you. Like if somebody sells it, that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't like it anymore. Um, I yeah. kind of see it like if some, somebody buys something from a one-of-one one artist and they've reached that point where they want to move on and, and maybe collect other works of theirs as they've grown um, or share the good word about them and and sell the piece. Like sometimes I think those people that sell it also become our brand ambassadors in a way. It's not a For sure, for sure. The word of mouth that they spread, you know, 
and their personal experience with my art or with me as an artist, it is some, it is in a big way my business card out there, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it definitely defines um, how other people will see me for sure. Let me ask you a question, Tammy, because I think a lot of people struggle with utility as artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've been more on the technical side of creating your art, whereas I think a lot of NFT artists started from, you know, maybe being a photographer and being behind a camera or, you know, some other type of art where they, it was less about the technical. Maybe they painted and took a picture or something. So you've been really immersed in in the tech side of it so my question is utility did did you build utility into your work um and if yes why and if no why that's a great question actually um and i do have to say that i do have an advantage you know because i'm not just digitalizing my artworks they are they, they start from scratch with a very uh, well-defined story, storyline, actually, and how it's going to unfold, you know. What's the journey from, you know, from scratch to when it's collected and what's the purpose of it once it's reached its final destination in the final collector's wallet, you know. So, for instance, the my Genesis collection, which was the Crypto Rocks, their utility was... Um, I mean, first of all, I wanted a link to my collectors, you know, like a direct connection with them, from me to them. Um, second of all, I wanted for them to have fun and try AR and, you know, that, that thing that I mentioned with the AR filter and be able to um, have a gift set that only they would use. So there was that feeling of um, having an extra something along the original artwork that they could only them could use. Um, so it was a bit about, you know, so if they would, for instance, if they would see on another story on Instagram that somebody else is using a GIF from that set, for sure that would mean that that other person was also a collector from uh, the same collection, you know, so they could bond over that. So I did mean to have utility within the idea of a very small community of collectors I did mean to have utility um, with the connection that I have from me, the artist, to them, the collectors. And of course, I wanted to include, you know, like a fun kind of thing. I'm not sure it is utility in the, um, let's say, more traditional sense. But I did um, I did have the idea of utility put in, in, in it, you know. It, was, it wasn't just like, you know, here's your JPEG. Um, have fun staring at it you know mm-hmm. um and also like for instance i'm now working on a very very cool project that it is um about a wearable which i'm actually wearing right now it is an aura ring which is a smart ring that basically tracks all your um bio data you know like changes in temperature uh beats per minute like from your heart you know all that kind of stuff like a wearable usually trace tracks, you know, like a Fitbit or Apple smartwatch or stuff like that. And I'm actually linking that to an artwork. So basically the collectors are going to have a very, very special link to me, the artist, because they're going to know infos like how much I slept last night, you know, like how many hours I slept because of the way the artworks that's going to change you know it's going to be through the async art platform 
where you can basically input um, data real time and the artwork changes. So that's kind of like my way of doing utility, you know? It's more like an art performance rather than offering extra perks. It's more like an insight into my life. It's it's generally about having a small community of collectors and a very special relationship with that. Tammy, I have a question. Maybe I'm I didn't understand something. So is this like a brand collaboration with the Aura Ring that you're implementing this with or are you creating a wearable that does a similar thing to them so it's not a brand collaboration with aura per se but it is my data and basically i can use it in any way i can you know so i can link the um, aura app through code to an artwork that's basically managed by the ac card developers and they're helping me uh, doing the back end you know uh like connecting the data that comes out from the app to the actual artwork, you know? Okay. So just, so basically the aura ring is just uh, a means of getting there. It okay. could have been any, any other type of wearable. I, I like the connection though, because the smart technology that is in wearables from Fitbits to aura rings and everything is really compelling. It's a whole market within itself. So the fact that you're sharing your, your data, like, you know, I didn't sleep well last night and how that affects like a piece of art or, you know, your recovery, uh, because you had a few drinks and, you know, or you didn't like you got some exercise and ate really well. And your you know, your numbers are really high. It's interesting how you're incorporating that we're going to have to circle back around when you have that, like, in play when that all comes together, because it's a very interesting thing to me. Um, I have I have often thought that um, I missed an opportunity. I was a jewelry designer for for a better part of a decade or more. And wow. I, yeah, and I had always wanted to do some sort of smart jewelry. Um, so I could have combined those things. So mm. I, you pique my interest. I want to see what you end up doing. Um, not to That's talk about so me. Cool. I just wanted to, you know, it's just so interesting that we have these uh similar threads in yeah. our creativity. I actually have a jewelry line in real life, you know? So that kind of like, yeah, I have like a minimalistic jewelry line that's like very like simple shapes and stuff like that. It's all super, super flu. Um, but I, I was actually planning to uh, get some NFC chips in them. But then I got my aura ring, I think about a year ago. And then I was like, kind of like dwelling, you know, should I do this on my own or use like something that's already existing? And I decided to go with something that already exists, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Did you yeah. create your jewelry doing 3D printing? No, actually, I did not. I, so like in terms of my education, I'm actually a product designer at heart. So I have a bachelor and a master's degree in product and industrial design. And I did work for like, I think almost like six years or seven in this industry. So I used to basically um, create from scratch concepts of, you know, either it was like furniture or light fixtures or stuff like that. I actually did work for a huge studio in New York City for Karim Rashid. Um, I collaborated with them for a while. And um, 
after I decided to go on my own, you know, not being employed by a studio or a big company. Beforehand, I worked in a, uh, in a tech company that did actually wearables, you know, in devices like that. Um, I went ahead and just like, you know, started my own journey. And the first business that I did and the first project that I did was this um, jewelry line. And I did start with it from scratch, like drawings on paper and stuff like that. And I met with a workshop that said like, okay, we can do this. This is like, mm -mm, it's too hard and stuff like that, you know. And that's how I, it was like a collaboration between um, me and my ideas and the knowledge from the workshop, you know, what would do well in time, you know, not having breakages and stuff like that. So it so was actually use, made by somebody else, like fabricated by someone else. Yeah, they're actually handmade. Each piece is made by a jewelry specialist. I didn't use 3D printed technology. I did thought about it a lot, but I didn't use it. But probably in the future, it's something that I will use because it's like very interesting how you can push the limits of physics with that. Yeah, well, you know, the, the file is ones that you work with in 3D. So it's the .stl file. Um, so these, like these earrings are part mm -hmm. of my honeycomb collection. So they start off as a drawing and then I took a picture of it, used the JPEG. It went through several layers of software um, and ended up being 3D printed in plastic and then cast in brass and silver and made into jewelry. So technically... I also did all of the fabrication because as you know, I kept changing that STL file so that it could be light enough to be an earring, sizable enough to be a pendant and wide enough to be a cuff bracelet. Um, so I absolutely see you oh. going through that exercise, to be honest. Yes, yes, yes. And it's something that I used to do for my work, you know, when I used to work in um, tech devices and stuff like that. That's that's kind of like very similar to the process that I would do there as a product designer, you know, when you would have the prototype. We would firstly print the prototype in 3D. And by the way, I did not, like when we first connected, I did notice your earrings and like, I wish I would have said something because like yeah. I actually noticed them and they were yeah. like, oh, those are interesting. Cool. I, like, I immediately went there. That's Great cool. Work. Thank you. Thank you. So the funny thing is, because um, I was reading about your biography and how you are doing um, uh, fashion clothing and it sounds to me like you're going to be doing wearables um, as well. And that's what I was thinking about with, with my jewelry. If I converted the STL files into, um, wearables for the metaverse, you and I might be like outfitting people in the metaverse with clothing and jewelry and the whole thing. And, and, you know, maybe we'll be their personal stylists together. <laughs> yeah. I'm so ready for that. That'd be really cool. You know right. You know, funny thing is that I actually started because I have a digital clothing line mm -hmm. and the, it's it's kind of like a funny story how it, how I ended up having a digital clothing line because it first started as a regular clothing line. You know, I wanted to have my um, my designs, my 3D, my 3D artworks printed on actual garments, you know, and the process behind that was that I had to find a software that would take my, you know, my files, my PNGs or whatever they were and put them perfectly on a garment, you know? So they would like straight go into printing, into the printing machine. 
So the process is, it goes like this. So I create the 3D file, I take the PNG out of it, and then it goes into Clo3D, which is like this uh, software that can handle both digital wearables and physical wearables. There I fit the PNG to the actual layout, you know, where it says like, it has like sizes and everything. It's like cutouts. I'm, I'm using my hands to suggest this because it's like weird looking um, uh, parts of, you know, a t-shirt and it's like this part. It's like, like you know, you're, you're pattern cutting in 3D. Basically, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at first it was like a physical thing, but funny enough, I had to like digitize it beforehand, you know, because the way it would print, I'd have like the blank canvas. It's just like a huge uh, roll of textile that comes out and it is printed and then it goes into sewing and you know all the other stuff um and the first challenge that i faced was how do i make it more efficient in terms of budget while taking photos of my garments to put online and i was like well how about we don't actually make them how about we just render them you know so that's how i ended up doing fashion wearables that are digital is because like I accidentally did this four years ago when I wanted to, you know, adjust my budget to be as small as possible because it would be so much more expensive to actually print the clothes, you know, hire a model, hire a photographer, all that just for one photo of one outfit when I could just like virtually clothe a virtual model and I could make like hundreds in a day, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I had those made as AR filters for Snapchat and there you go, because I already had them, you know, done for the physical um, line. So I kind of like went, you know, really backwards somehow, you know. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened with my jewelry because I wanted also, you know, I didn't have, I didn't want to make so many models in real life. So I would take a picture and post it on my shop, you know. So I went and did them digitally, and I rendered them. So after having the renders, I also said like, hmm, how about I make them AR filters? So there you go. I have my jewelry done as AR filters. But it's always, everything was like, it came from a need, you know, of the need to cut the budget as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's really cool. Um, I, I guess I'm kind of doing something like that, but I'm not myself doing it. So like I've been taking my NFTs and using uh, a company called Printful and I'm sizing my, you know, the material, like, I'm sorry, I'm sizing the NFT into different garments, if you will. So like I've been playing with some high top sneakers and yoga pants and and putting it on there. Um, and I realized with the patterning, it doesn't always work like what you were saying, like you, it's almost like it's a virtual cutting system, if you will. So now I need to get the original layer of one of my NFTs, which is just a background layer, you know, for the full on pant, for example, for the yoga pant, and then take the rest of the NFT in, in more of its full iteration for like the band or to put in like one spot or whatever. But I'm, I'm sort of doing it with other technology that's more accessible to like the whole world mm-hmm. versus you can do it yourself because like you're already like schooled in that. I'm not. So, but it's kind of a cool idea. 
Yeah, but like you don't have to worry about that at all because the way I see things evolving right now, there are so many, um, let's say, third-party software that are onboarding as many people that are not actually, you know, the way you said it's cooled in, you know, 3D modeling and stuff like that. And personally, to be honest, for the past two years, I stopped um, learning new software because I did found like secondary apps, just like a phone app or an iPad app that do a lot of the work that I used to do, you know, by modeling and trying to fit stuff 3D wise. And now it's like, really, you, you don't have to have any type of 3D knowledge. Like take, for instance, VR, right? You can model in VR just by taking your joysticks or, you know, depending on what, what type of VR you have. And you can just like go in gravity sketch, just like wave your, you know, hands around there. And at the end of it, you can just like export an STL or a GBL or something. Uh, no, GLB, sorry. Um, and you can just like, put it on OpenSea and the platforms automatically let you, you know, um, go through it. You know, you can just like turn it around and like play with it. So Mm -hmm. it can be a 3D type of NFT, even though you don't actually know how to model stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think the more time goes on and the more all of the softwares progress towards people knowing less and less technical aspects of it. So they open up to as many non-designed school schooled people, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's really going that way. And th- things are easier by the day. Like for instance, when I first started doing AR, Spark AR was really, I don't know, you couldn't find tutorials. You couldn't find a community that would talk. Now there are so many tutorials online. You don't have to know stuff beforehand. You just go there. You just like follow all the clicks. It's super simple. And you can even, you know, you can even import something from VR that you did in tilt brush or paint or, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's super easy. So don't you worry about that. Nobody worry about that. In two years time, everybody, I think it's going to be able, you know, to just do like 3D stuff really, really easy. There are like a bunch of apps for that. Yeah. I agree. So I, my, my job is being obsolete very soon. <laughs> no, no. Actually, I think the contrary. So I love... <laughs> that a lot of these apps are creating like an open source technology that anybody could go in and do maybe the same level of what you're doing, but it's, uh, but you had to build it first. Um, but I think actually, um, it's going to make people like you even more important because, the there's always going to be another step, another iteration, another use case for things. There's always going to be that. And we're going to need people that are refined and educated in it to spot it, right? To see like what's that. missing, <laughs> right? Like, but you yeah. can see it. Like, if you see how people are using a certain app and what they're able to do, you're able to see what they can do as well as what they can't do. Like I, I don't like, and I might not know how to articulate that. I might be saying, you know, Hey, Tammy, I'm using this new app. It's really awesome. Look what I'm creating. And I might say something random to you that you're going to be like, Oh, like I might say, you know, the only problem is, is I can't, I can't bend anything, but you know, it's okay because I, I, I was still able to create this and you might be like, Oh, that's what's missing. I could Mm -hmm. actually 
create something to do that. Like, I don't know. That's just my thought. Like, I, I think that um, people who are technical, you know, as deeply as you are, will always be important. You know, I really feel that way. So. I mean, thank you for saying that. And for sure, I do get what you mean because there is always going to be, you know, a need for developers and all that. Um, I mean, it was sort of a joke and it wasn't sort of a joke that I'm going obsolete. I mean, look at what OpenAI uh, is doing right now with DALI, for example, you know. They're right now at the stage where you can give it an input in text and it gives you a JPEG, right? But soon enough, they're going to be able to give you a 3D file, you know, from what you say. You're going to be you're going to be able to say, like, I don't know, I want a hand with a phone uh, with the background of a forest, whatever, you know. And it's going to give you, you know, the whole 3D file for that. And I think my job is, like, slowly going to transition from a modeler and renderer to more like a curator of AI results, you know, and just, like, tweaking AI results. Which I'm no gatekeeper, by the way. I don't gatekeep 3D. It's like as more people as they can come, the, the more and better the community is going to be, you know, and we can all help each other develop better, prettier stuff, you know, whatever. Um, but I think my job is actually becoming easier and easier with the help of AI because I'm going to just do final tweaks instead of just like starting everything from scratch, which is honestly amazing because as long as imagination you know it's still human I, I i don't i mean it is a joke that i'm becoming obsolete in a way in the technical aspect just like you mentioned but the output is still going to be you know collab between human and machine which is great and i'm looking forward to that it's going to be like like super interesting times ahead right i love how you said that and i think what it is is that um we evolve in our um, strategy as we get more skills under our belt. And so, like you said, you're going to be curating and fine-tuning AI. There may actually be a career in that at some point, if you think about it, to maintain that human element in it. Um you know, for me, I'm I'm sort of going back and forth in what I do, you know, like I I designed and fabricated all my jewelry, and then I introduced a collection using the 3D technology, um, but it, I went back and forth, right? So I started off learning 3D technology, and then I created a physical item, a whole physical collection from that. Now I'm going back and implementing that and finding another way to share that product that I made. Um, yeah. But again, it's like, it's all part of it. Like, I don't think I could have gotten here if I didn't realize when I first 3D printed it back in, you know, 2000, whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I never could have thought like it could be used this way. Um, you yeah. know, that I would be putting it as a wearable. It's because I've been exposed to NFTs and metaverse conversations. So I think our work informs our work. And I think having that human element in it to build strategy in our mind is the only reason why it comes to fruition. Yeah, I absolutely love that point of view. And I'm like, plus one on that, you know, <laughs> just like, 
I think it's really interesting because like for, for both of us, see, like the process went like it went like it went one way and then it kind of came back and took that work and retransformed it into something else. And it's really nice to be able to use all of what you're what you've created, you know, because like I had that digital part that remained for that time, um, only you know, the back end of it, like nobody knew you know, how I actually created those photos, you know, nobody knew that it was actually virtual clothing because my purpose at that point was like, nobody should catch up on the fact that it is virtual clothing. Whereas now people are like interested in showing that they're virtually clothed, you know, and it is purposeful, not um, ideally aesthetically looking, you know, like you can see that it's virtual clothing in photos or in stories. And that is like, it is purposely done that way because otherwise it would just, you know, look like it is a physical clothing and that's not fun anymore. You know, that's not interesting anymore. So it's like really interesting how we're also trying, you know, to put a cap on that on how, how well it looks, how, how well done it looks, you know, like it doesn't look realistic, it looks virtually because that's an aesthetic right now. You know, it's like an era. Everything's looking digital. Yeah, no, I think um, it's funny that you say that because it's kind of like, um, so there were trends even, so I have the podcast, right? So there was trends in podcast art where people would have their, you know, face in the art, but then they went through this phase of making it like an animated sort of a cartoonish look. And when I think about um, like virtual clothing, they don't really want to look realistic. They want it to have like a virtual look to it. Yeah. Um, and yet when I also think about like painters, there's some that go for that photorealism look. So I think a lot of it is also trends that come and go. And I have a feeling that because people are always trying to make things look perfect, I predict that virtual clothing or items are going to work towards looking as realistic as possible so that people feel like their virtual self mm. is so like mind bendingly perfect. You know, like I, I, I predict that that's probably going to happen because I just think it's a trend, right? All of it's a trend. For sure. For sure. For sure. But right now I, I feel like a lot of people are experimenting with the fact that in virtual clothing, you don't have to take into account, um, you know, weight of the materials or even the materials themselves. You can make like a dress out of flowing water like it's been done. And I feel like that's really interesting. Like I want to wear a dress that's out of flowing water or shoes that are made of fire. Same here. Right. Can you do that and for me like right now? <laughs> And I feel like we're we're gonna have a next step into that when we're gonna have mass adoption of glasses that are AR uh, that are gonna overlap AR filters because I feel like the way we set our avatars now or you know profile picture we're gonna be able to have like a setting um, that for anybody that's wearing AR uh, glasses for anybody that's gonna look at you you're gonna appear. Like, no matter what you're wearing that day, you're still going to appear wearing, you know, a dress made of fire. Like, you're going to, you know. And I feel like that's, like, a very interesting topic. And I'm looking forward to that, you know, at the point where I'm going to be able to, you know, just, like, say that my avatar in real life 
is always going to wear a dress made of fire. So anybody that's going to be, you know, just like walking down the street, you're going to be able to see people through your AR uh, goggles or, you know, glasses or whatever, having, you know, I don't know, floating orbs above their head or a tiny uh, virtual dog in their, you know, on their shoulder or dresses made of fire and stuff like that. And that's going to be like their default image. I love that. So like, we'll be wearing glasses. I'll feel like I'm in an episode of like the Hunger Games or something. Didn't she have like a dress that had like the fire or something? Like, I think that's going to be really cool. I like that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, you know, having the, you know, like the equivalent of avatars and profile pictures, but in real life, you know. So at that point, I think we're going to be able to just wear like, a body like tight body garment that feels comfortable on your body and skin because you're going to be appear to wear a Met Gala type of look anyway you know so you don't have to bother to actually dress like that and that's like very eco-friendly by the way yeah that's really cool I think people will probably do you think people will probably like replicate Lady Gaga back when she used to do like the meat dress or arrive in like a big egg or something? <laughs> like for sure. Like why not? This is virtual. Let's do that. Let's have all the fun that we can. Exactly. Exactly. No, I think it's really cool. Tammy, you're amazing. I, you know, it's so funny. You, you said at the uh, beginning with your art in Times Square that it was like a meet cute. And I kind of feel like you and I are having a meet cute because we're like on the <laughs> same page with so much. This is amazing. I feel the same. Thank you so much for that. I feel the same. Totally. I think we are going to have to collaborate on something at some point. I feel like you and I work on like different ends of the spectrum and creative to in it, like creatively, like how we came to it. But I feel like there's so much synergy. So at some point, I think we're just going to have to like chat and create something. <laughs> I would absolutely love that. Absolutely. I now, mean. I, I, and I definitely want people to be um, aware of your art. Um, where can they mint? What, what What's your, uh, where do they go? Well, I think that's a great question, which I get a lot. And the way I went about it, because I, I am having my artwork spread across multiple platforms, you know. So the best way to get to me and to, you know, explore what I do would be through my Instagram profile and then going to my link in bio and then opening the menu there and just like going towards whatever feels, you know, more close to your home or your heart or whatever you can explore my full portfolio or just like go ahead and see my minted collections or like you know whatever feels right so my instagram profile and my link in bio would be the like shortest way to go perfect well what i'm gonna do is i'll put that in the uh, show notes for everybody i think uh um i'm really excited thank you tammy thank you so much as well this has been lovely this summer is coming in hot. Please share this episode of Culture Factor now and listen with your friends. It's always more fun that way. And don't forget the rosé. Season four of Culture Factor is produced by Pale Blue Studios. 